Sal Berry, and Tim Parrish. This is the Puck Junk Podcast. Hello and welcome to a long overdue edition of the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. I'm Sal Berry and with me is Tim Parrish. Our big topic for today is 21-22 Upper Deck Series 1 Hockey Cards. We're also going to talk about some of the recent happenings in the world of hockey and in the world of hockey collecting. Tim, how's it going? You got a new computer and life is uh, somehow better all of a sudden. It's now an HD 4K. Is it 4K? Maybe that's why I look so horrible. I'm too ugly for radio. (laughs) What did I say? Face for radio, right? Yeah, well, I have a face for not radio at all. Wow. But anyway, hey, I'm here. I'm alive. Things are good. And we're finally recording again. Yeah. You know, it's funny because like I had to take a week off and then I had to take another week off and then I had to take another week off. It was just like it was just a horrible time in hockey to take any time off because you had the trade deadline and you had records being set. and You had like all these things going on that were important in Upper Deck Series 1, and that launched a, a couple weeks ago. So, like, all these, like, important things happened in hockey and in hockey collecting, but this all kind of coincided with, I'm a teacher, and there's finals week, and then there's spring break week, but actually spring break week is me getting all my grading done from the previous week, and then school starts again. So it's like, not only am I doing grading, but then I'm also getting ready for the next round of classes. But then at the same time, at the same time, all of this was going down, I was getting ready to do the Chicago Sports Spectacular in Rosemont. So like all of these things were happening at the same time. I was getting my stuff together for that show. I was pulling and pricing cards. I was, you know, getting things together for that. And then I was also wrapping up finals and then I was doing grading. And then I did another show this past weekend in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. It was a very good show. I'll talk more about that a little later when we talk about hobby stuff. So I had two two shows like three weeks apart, but still. And then I had like teacher stuff. And so it was just like I was just constantly busy. It was just like it was just like a torrent. It was just like never ending. It was just like, ah, so something had to give. And unfortunately, it was this. Yeah, well, you know, like I always say, we do this for fun. We do this because it's a hobby and we enjoy it and we like talking about stuff. But when life gives you lemons, you give them back and tell them you don't want lemons. Isn't that you how want. the phrase goes? No, you make lemonade. Oh, when life you- gives you lemons, you just take them because, hey, free lemons. Right. Um, but, you know, thanks to those of you who reached out to us and said, hey, when are you doing your next show? When are you doing your next podcast? Because it, it's nice to know that people actually listen to this and listen to us and care what yeah, we think no and care what we have to say. Yeah. The answer is now. So get off my back. What, one listener was was telling me how he's like, oh, I love the hour 45 episodes. When you guys do an, an episode that's an hour 45, he's like, that's how long my daughter's gymnastics classes are. So he's like, so then I just go sit in the car and listen to your podcast for two hours. And then the podcast is over and then I pick up my kid. (laughs) Yeah. And see, that's the thing. We never seek to like make it a certain time. It just ends up that way. Whenever we have stuff to talk about, we talk about it. Whenever we're done, we're done. And that's it. Right. Hour 45, hour half, an hour. (laughs) Uh, Who am I kidding? We've never talked for just an hour. Maybe back in the beginning. Um, Well, yeah, dude. 
our our first podcast from uh, 2015, we talked about two different hockey card sets in 30 minutes, and that was our podcast. We talked about like I think we talked about 1415 MVP, and we talked about 8990 tops, and our show was like 29 minutes long. That must and have we been back when I sets. yeah, that must have been back when I kept notes and it would stay on track. <laughs> those days, those days are long gone. So, what do you want to talk about first with uh, NHL stuff? Um, you want you want to talk about uh, Zegris doing another Michigan goal and then Troy Terry getting uh, pummeled by Jay Beagle? You want to talk about that first? Yeah, I mean that's three things in one right there. It is because you know the story should be. That Trevor Zegras scored another Michigan goal. Nice wraparound. Used uh, kind of like Sonny Milano, the way he just kind of stood straight and screamed the goalie and he just kind of wrapped it around him. I mean, he should get an assist for that, even if he didn't touch the puck, because, you know, <laughs> way, way to screen the goalie. That yeah, was he great. came around the side and it was like, oh, crap. And he just kind of like made himself like kind of skinny. <laughs> it was interesting just see that and then of course so let me let me just recap what happens Here's so trevor zegra scores a michigan goal where he picks it up on his stick and flips it into the net nice okay they're beating the coyotes at that point like three to nothing if i remember correctly then in the third period there's a uh, a, a loose puck although the coyotes say their goalie had it zegras said he was that the puck was 100 percent loose and or 100%, it was loose. He was he was going after it. He gets knocked down from behind with the cross check by Jay Beagle, and then uh, Troy Terry steps in to defend him. Beagle drops the gloves and proceeds to punch him a, a bunch of times, maybe three times. I don't know how many times. I've heard three punches, whatever. And Terry ends up having like his face was like pretty beat on one side. It it was not a good look, you know. I mean, it was a pretty horrifying image. I saw that on Twitter, and I'm just like, whoa, wow! Like that is like one of the worst. I mean, if you could call it a hockey fight, it was pretty one sided, and the other guy wasn't fighting. I mean, um, it absolutely was. And the guys that get labeled for as kind of fighter guys were locked up over on the side, and the referees grabbed both of them. Nor did either of them look like they wanted to fight, but they let Terry and Beagle go, which I thought was interesting, um, especially considering, you know, all the focus gets placed on, you know, skill players and goal scorers and stuff. And Troy Terry's, I mean, he's hot this year. Here's what I think. I personally think everything would have been probably fine. Yeah, some people would have been ticked off about it. But I think the commentary on the broadcast from Tyson Nash is what fueled the fire, especially with the people that are on the opposite side of thinking that this was a predatory thing and, you know, Beagle was just trying to, you know, go after somebody and stuff like that. Nash was on the air and, you know, made the comment about how, you know, if you go and do something like that, all skill aside, if you go and do a goal like that when you're already up and all of this kind of stuff, it's like you're you're making a statement to try to deliberately embarrass the other team. And if you do that, you get a punch in the mouth. And that's kind of the point he was making. And from from the old school, take care of your business in your own backyard kind of kind of standpoint, I get it. But you know, at the same time. I don't know that that's the 
regular course of action anymore. I'm not saying that you need to go out and protect all the skilled players and they need to be able to be handled with kid gloves and stuff like that. I mean, by all means, you know, every team used to have a goon, right? And Mm -hmm. that goon took care of it and made sure their star player wasn't touched. You know, we don't live in those days anymore and we don't have hockey like that anymore. But to cliche the, the code saying, you know, the code with quotes. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, is there one? Yeah. Should there be one? Probably not. But it doesn't change the fact that there there is that. Look, I'm not a Jay Beagle fan by any means. I'm sure people aren't shocked by this. But, I wonder why. Yeah. But at the same time, Beagle's got a Stanley Cup, like it or not. I mean, he was with the Capitals for a long time. He's one of those glue guys on any roster, and most teams would love to have him. Yeah, he's getting to the end of his career. He's he's going to scrap. I don't think he's a, necessarily a dirty player, per se. No. He's not a probert or anything. <laughs> like well, go, going out there player. just to just to hurt people or anything like that. Or, you know, he's like the, you know, step up to the bell guy. I don't think that at all. But at the same time, I also don't agree with all the people that are saying, well, Tyson Nash specifically, people are jumping his crap all over social media and everything else because of what he said, trying to protect the killer mentality versus the skill players and letting the skill players practice their skill and showcase their skill and being happy that we have somebody that we can watch in current NHL that's going to bring more eyeballs on the sport and get people excited about it because they go out there and score these crazy goals. Or I think as we're, we're going to start calling them TikTok goals because that's really what they are. TikTok and YouTube. I mean, people see this and then they go and record themselves trying to do it or and you have a billion videos of imitations of people trying to do that or one-upping it and doing it stuff i've seen so many videos since he scored his first one since Zeger scored that first one so many videos of like little kids hockey mm-hmm. where the little kids have like duplicated that in a game and and tried to do it again and you know that's what they're doing at home when they're practicing with their friends and stuff you know, just like we did when we were kids, we'd go out and play basketball or play hockey. And, you know, I'm this person and I'm that person. And you try to, you know, mimic the, the shot or mimic their how they hold their stick or how they, you know, how they pass the puck and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's it's the same thing. So, hmm. you know, to, to be able to showcase the skill players, I have no problem with that. Would I be embarrassed that that goal was scored on me? Maybe, but. Just like I always tell everybody at football, I don't think running up a score is bad. Because if you don't want me to run up the score, stop me. And if you can't stop me, don't suck. I mean, that's really that's really what it boils down to. So, so if you're going to get mad and punch me in the face because I scored a goal on you, well, then we're going to have a problem. And unfortunately, the Ducks didn't really have anybody that could step in. And it got taken out on Troy Terry, I guess, so. So you said something about embarrassing the Coyotes, but you know what? The Coyotes don't need anybody to embarrass them. They are an embarrassment. Yeah, you're absolutely right, especially this year and knowing what we know going into next year. The fact that they have to play in like a, what is it, a 
5,000-seat college arena. arena. I mean, yeah, they are getting a new arena. That is true. You know, the work, it's in the works and all that kind of stuff. But the fact that it got to this point, and they've always been that team where it's like, are the doors going to be unlocked when it's time to start the season? You know, are they going to still be a team? What city are they moving to now? And that's like speculation. It's been like that for a long time. So, you know, and and the Coyotes, whether they're the Arizona Coyotes or the Phoenix Coyotes, because sometimes I slip and still call them the Phoenix Coyotes. I feel like they've really exhausted all their second chances with like, like the league really wants to do anything it can to keep that team in Arizona. I mean, remember back in the late two thousands, like when the league ended up owning the team, they bought the team off the owner. Gretzky was one of the part owners. They fired Gretzky from being the coach because he was making $8 million a year and they couldn't afford that. Because that was part of the, you know, that was probably their biggest single expense. And, pretty bad when your coach makes more than the players, huh? Yeah, but they were not a good team anyway. I mean, if you remember those no. Phoenix Coyotes from like the Keith Yandel, Daniel Carcillo, Victor Tikhanoff era, yeah. you know, yeah, around them. Not, and, and they've never been the top of the pops when it comes to the NHL. So but, anyway, so the thing, so here's a couple of things. If you don't want to be embarrassed, get better players. I got into an argument with somebody on Twitter, and I said, you know what? All the big moves that the Coyotes have made over the past couple of years have been trading for dead contracts, right? Marian Hosa's dead contract. Pronger, that's another great one. Pronger was, Chris Pronger was technically a Coyote. Remember, that's where they buried his contract. I mean, yeah. they, they bury the contracts in the desert, pun intended, right? So that, And they do that so they could get to the cap floor right? So here's a team that doesn't want to spend on its players and is basically spending money, not their money, you know, just the the cap room on contracts that are just bad, you know, just so they could technically be at the salary cap floor. I mean, that's pathetic. That is pathetic. I'm sorry. You know what? Every team every now and then has to take a bad contract because you get a player that you want, you get a player that you don't want, right? Like it just, that this is how it happens sometimes. But the Coyotes, I mean, you know, do they have some good players? Yeah, they got some bright spots. They got Phil Kessel. Well, is <laughs> at least for now. Kessel's no spring chicken either. No, 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 but no. But he no. can still contribute. Right, he just right. needs some tools around him, and he doesn't have that out there. Right. So I got a couple of thoughts here. Trevor Zegris, well, he was showboating. He was showing off. Let me ask you, when Wayne Gretzky was behind the net and he shot the puck off of Mike Leute's back and into the net, was he showboating? Was he showing off? When Alex Ovechkin was lying on his back and scored a goal, was he showboating? Was he showing off? When Mario Lemieux did that one move in the Stanley Cup Finals where he put the puck between that North Star's feet, went around and picked it up and scored past John Casey, was that showboating? Kind of. <laughs> was it showboating? Because they can, but that's the thing, they can when, when, These guys when, have the skill and they can do that. If you don't when, want them to, stop them. When Tomas Hurdle was in his NHL debut and he scored four goals that game and he did that uh, that shot between his feet, remember? Yes, I do. Wasn't that Boucher in that, Brian Boucher? Yeah, it might have been. I don't remember who the goaltender was. But I, so, I know exactly what you're saying. I mean, so, all these scenarios are perfect examples. Like, how was Gretzky so good at build, putting his office behind the net? No one went back there. No one challenged him. You know, why does Ovechkin get to sit at the top of the faceoff circle during a power play and no one goes anywhere near him ever? 
that's the way it is. Well, but he, he gets open. He gets open. He he circles and he finds he he's not he doesn't he doesn't hold still. He he moves. He's you know. Well, you watch some of their power plays. He sits over there by himself for a while sometimes as they're doing tape to tape puck passes, and then all of a mm-hmm. sudden, oh, there he is, just knock it over there. He'd be the first guy I would go to, and I would keep a person on him and never go anywhere else. You need and like yeah, an somebody S- else is open. to shadow him or someone. Yeah, and sure, somebody else will be open because you're on a uh, penalty kill, but oh well. I'd rather somebody else score than him, but yeah, so, he's the greatest goal scorer, and that's the way it is. And prior to that, we had you know Wayne Gretzky, and you're talking about guys with pure skill, and I know Zegers has a lot of that, and he's into that younger, he's in that younger generation of just being that you know that guy like here's the next what well, i don't even know what the right word is the next showstopper kind of guy right and right. people and are going to tune in to watch it because they're what they want to see what he's going to do next oh darn people are going to tune in to watch hockey what a horrible thing for hockey how do we make this how do we stop you know what let's you know what we should do? We should just make him score all the goals where the puck is in the goal mouth and everybody hacks and whacks at it for 10 seconds and it finally goes in. That's the kind of goals we want to see, right? Or we want to see the goal where it, it hits somebody and bounces in, right? No, those are those are the garbage goals to me, yeah. you know? It's like every goal in the NHL, not every goal, but a lot of the goals aren't because you beat the goalie. The goalies are too good to get beat. They're good. They're students to the game. They're disciplined. The The profession of goaltending has evolved a lot in the past 40 years, but also the equipment's gotten a lot bigger. I mean, it's ridiculous, right? So now the way you're going to beat a goalie is you're going to make the shot go one way and the goalie's going to go that one way to block that shot, but then you're going to have a man in front of the net do a little redirect. The goalie goes one way and then you redirect the puck the other way. I feel like that's like 80% of the goals that get scored. And it sucks. I get excited when somebody makes a move, gets the goalie to open up and slips it through the five hole, or somebody just blasts a shot and it just beats the goalie fair and square. Or when you have somebody like a Patrick Kane who can hit the three inches between the goalie shoulder and the crossbar when he goes down because he thinks Kane is going to shoot low. Those kinds of goals are awesome and I wish we had more of those but instead it's like oh well oh it hit it hit a skate and it went in lucky us and I appreciate those kind of goals too I'm more of a defensive guy so I like to see the big saves and the crazy saves and goalies stand on their head and that kind of stuff I prefer to see that my own myself but you know back to what what we're originally saying you know putting eyeballs on the sport the powers that be are always talking about you know, hockey is for everyone and let's make it a, a more of a global sport and let's get more eyeballs on it and get me, more people playing and participating and watching and all that stuff. But yet you have a very strong contingent of the old school people that they just can't get out of their own way when it comes to that kind of stuff. So you, they don't have the talent to do so. And that's the thing. You can't have it. You can have it both ways. Yeah. There's just has to be a balance. And the, the problem is you got all the people that want to move forward and forget the past. And you got all the people that want to stay in the past and forget the future. There has to be a balance with that. And yeah. Should there still be Jay Beagles in the league? Sure. But there also has to be Trevor Zegers's. Zegri? Zegers's. 
I don't know. How would the plural of that be? There has to be some zigri. We'll go with that. That's zigri. The I like That's that. That's the plural of, of that. So there, there has to be a balance of both. And I, and yeah, we're taking fighting out of hockey. We're taking headshots. We're taking dirty hits. We're taking the, you know, the big impactful open ice crap that we that we all grew up loving and that kind of stuff. We're we're trying to make the game safer. I get it. Fighting is still allowed in hockey, and as long as it is, it'll happen. You know, no other sport allows fighting. Basketball, think about it. In basketball, Mm -hmm. guy goes down, jumps up, dunks on you. What do you do? Do you deck the guy? No, because you'll be suspended and you'll that'll be the end of it. Right. And you know, in football, you get into a fight, you're ejected, gone. Bye. You get into a fight in hockey, five minutes for fighting. And then you go to the box and you feel shame and then you come back out. So So Here's a couple of other things I just want to mention. The Ducks traded their tough guys away. Uh, well, uh, Nicholas Delorier, they traded him at the deadline. They traded Josh Manson, who was a tough customer. Maybe not as tough as his dad, but a tough defenseman nonetheless. So they got rid of those guys, or they, they traded those guys. So it's almost like the Ducks were like, yeah, we don't need to beat a tougher team, right? And they knew they weren't going to make the playoffs, so they just kind of traded what they could trade. And I get that. But I got a couple of problems here. I got problems with both Troy Terry and with Jay Beagle. Okay. Jay Beagle should not have pummeled Troy Terry, right? It was a mismatch from the very beginning. Should not have done that. At the same time, though, Troy Terry has a responsibility to defend himself. Drop the damn gloves Get your ass kicked, but at least defend yourself, man. I you mean, heard what Tyson still... Nass says. He he sticks by the thing that that uh, Beagle just grabbed whoever. He didn't know who he nah. was fighting. I don't know. That I, I, that. I I don't know. No, you know, you know, you, you you have yeah, you have an idea. You know, if the guy is, you know, if you're eye level with the guy, or if you're looking down at the guy, or if you're looking up at the guy, you know, you have a pretty good idea. I mean, most of the time, I, there's. Always funny stories of NHLers talking about grabbing the player that's closest to them and then realizing that they grabbed somebody that they shouldn't have. You know, it was just a line brawl and they just grabbed the first person they saw and then they realized, oh, no, I've just grabbed Jay Miller or I've just grabbed Bob Probert or I've just grabbed whomever. Right. I'm not blaming the victim here. Not at all. I think Troy Terry should have defended himself. Instead of getting punched three times. I mean, once the guy punches you the first now, I can understand if the guy drops the gloves and hits you. And you know, I used to I used to be on Daniel Carcillo about this all the time when Carcillo played for the Flyers. I remember I forgot who he went after on the Capitals, but it really upset me. And I can't remember who it was, but it was not a fighter. And he dropped the gloves and he punched the guy before he even knew what was going on. And that was not a fight. That was a sucker punch. That was a, you know, I'm mad at you and I'm just going to punch you before you even know what's going on. And I feel like that's, that that could happen. You could, you could drop the gloves, hit the guy. He doesn't even have a chance to, you know, drop the gloves and fight back. But I think he could have here. Again, not saying that this is right. I'm just saying that like, even if you're going to get your ass kicked, you have to, you have to defend yourself. You have to defend yourself at the very least. So people know that they can't do that to you. You know what I mean? Like, even if, if they say, Oh, I beat him last time in the fight, but you also know, Hey, this guy's willing to drop the gloves. 
he's not a pushover. But at the same time, I'm kind of tired of fighting in hockey, and I never thought I'd really say that. But like, I want tired of it, even though it doesn't happen that often. It doesn't happen that often, and of course, I'll rewind or pause or go back and watch it. But it's just, I don't know. I feel like a lot of the fighting now is guy scores good goal, other team gets mad, other team starts fight, or guy makes clean hit on player, P.K. Subban decides he doesn't like it, comes and starts fight. You saw that, right? Yeah, he lost his mind. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, though, is that, like, the other team scoring a nice goal on you is not grounds for fighting. The other team throwing a legal body check on one of your teammates is not grounds for fighting either. I mean, it could be, depending on how egregious you might think it is, and maybe, you know, in some cases, if you have guys that are just hitting everybody, maybe oh, you do yeah. have to, quote, send a message. You know what it, I'm going to say? It goes back to that unwritten code again. You know, it's always been that way, so it should continue to be that way. Just like I said, you're not going to grow the game if you're going to punish teams or you're going to put a target on their back because they're going to go out there and beat you with their skill. It's just, it's just not going to happen. No one's going to want to watch. You know, right. if their favorite players that are out there that could be annual 50-plus goal scorers or 100-point scorers on right. an annual basis are going out there and getting pummeled on a nightly basis, no one's going to want to watch that anymore. Right. Like so. I said many times, I would trade that one hit that Scott Stevens threw on Eric Lindros for another good 10 years of Eric Lind- Lindros's career. You know sure. what I mean? Absolutely. I would have rather seen him, I would have rather seen the big E age gracefully, you know, like Iserman, you know, like just aged gracefully and then retired instead of like having concussion problems and going from a 50 point, 100 point guy to like a, a 50 goal, 100 point guy to, you know, 20 goals and 30 assists, you know, you know what I mean? Just like that, that, that steep, it wasn't that sharp of a drop off, but I mean, if you think of Lindros, you think of him as a, as a flyer one way and as a Ranger the other way, right? Like he had one good year with the Rangers, but he was just not a great, but wasn't the same player after that. And, and and it's a tale that's told many times with a lot of players that got injured by, you know, taking too many hits or getting hit the wrong way and just never being the same or able to recover because of it. Right. I mean, it's happened again. I mean, Paul Correa, same thing. Oh, God. Yeah. So, you know, and are these guys that are getting hit fighters necessarily? I mean, Lindros could hold his own, but he was also a skilled player. Guys with that kind of talent are going to skate around with a target on their back. But... Again, I'm not saying go back to the old days where every team has a goon to protect their stars, but we shouldn't be out there like not allowing the skilled players to put on displays of their skill. If you don't want them to score on you, stop them from scoring. Don't like go punch them when they're in the celebration line. That's that's silly and stupid. That's some Dale Hunter shit right there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like Dale Hunter. Well, I mean, I forgot uh, about him for a minute. I'll never forget that uh, that hit. Was that on Turjan that he threw in the '93 playoffs? Was it? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you're right. He scored. A, he scored a goal, and he was celebrating, and 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 Hunter came up from behind and just like slammed him into the boards. 
I mean, okay, that was 30 years ago almost. I'm really dating myself with all these 90s references. Fortunately, a lot of our listeners are like 30s, 40s, and 50s and can appreciate all of our our late 90s references, you know? Well, I will say this, not to spend the whole show talking about this. One thing, um, you know, Linda Cohen, you know, you know Linda Cohen. Mm-hmm. She actually brought up the fact that, you know, this isn't 1974, right? We're not playing in a league where you had a, a few skilled guys and teams that were just grinding on a nightly basis. Mm-hmm. You know, we have these young skilled players, especially like the roster that the Anaheim Ducks have. And there's no reason at all that these kids should be going out there, putting on a display of skill and then being taught a lesson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was the point that she made. And I, I kind of agree. Cause you're not going to grow the game like that. Like we, like we've been saying here. So, but yeah, that's uh that's been a hot button issue, a big topic of discussion since it happened over the weekend. So I'm sure this won't be the last time we talk about something like this. I like when you sent me this email. I like your bullet point. Flyers screw Yandel from getting 1,000. Kessel is now the Iron Man. So yeah. I was surprised about that. What was he at? Like He was at 989, if I remember correctly. Yeah, they essentially... Didn't start him. So we talked about Keith Yandel's uh, breaking Doug Jarvis's record of 964 consecutive games a couple months back. So he's the Iron Man, most consecutive games played. We're all kind of wishing that he gets to a thousand consecutive games played because that would be awesome. That's never been done before. And why the hell not? Right at this point, why the hell not? Well, yeah, Mike, it's Yo, not like the Flyers I, are contending. They're they're not contending. They have no shot at a, at a playoff spot. Yep. It's the end of the season. Yep. The guy needs eleven games. I think they have eleven games. Let him get a thousand. It's what they should have done. It's what they should have done. And you know what? That is just such a BS nineteen seventies. That seems like some Scotty Bowman stuff, doesn't it? Or some like Mike Keenan stuff or like some sort of just like any old cool, uh, old cool, old cool, old uncool, old school hockey coach, you know, that runs the team with an iron fist and, you know, the type that will say, well, Tim, we know you're from Pittsburgh and we know that your parents are out here in the stands to watch you tonight. And we know that your grandparents came down from wherever to see their grandson play. But we're going to scratch you because because I'm a dick hockey coach, right? Like, you know, I mean, for what it's worth, I like to make fun of Mike Keenan because he was a horrible coach in Chicago, although we had success with him. We had some success. But I remember, like, one ex-NHL player telling me, I said, well, when did you know when you were going to make your NHL debut? He said, I didn't know until the last minute. He said, but you know what? He said, Mike Keenan ordered satellite TV for my parents so that they could watch the game. So that was the kind of things that he would do. He'd mess with your mind, but he'd also sometimes do something like that. Don Cherry always talks about being aware of if this guy was from this hometown and we were playing in his home, you know, in his hometown, he'd put him in the starting lineup. He'd let him be on the ice for the anthem. I mean, you know, you like to see stuff like that. And instead you have like, oh, you're 11 games from a thousand in a row. Eh, but you know what? Eh, maybe we'll give this rookie a shot. 
And I get it if it was there wasn't a streak on the line. And I almost feel like the Flyers should have stepped in and done something. And this should have been kind of like a mandate from above. Because one, Mike Yo is the interim head coach. So it's like, hey, Mike, we know you're trying to prove yourself so you keep this job. But we really want you to do this thing. And this would make us really happy. And two, that's good publicity for the Flyers. I mean, don't teams like it when they have a player on their team that hits a milestone? Doesn't that, like, make them look good? I mean, did the Flyers not? I mean, in the case of the Flyers, look, no one's talked anything nice about them because there hasn't been anything to talk about except for that streak. Yeah. I mean, this is a lost season for them. And the fact that, you know, your coach has to go into the media to explain why it is that they can't give this guy a game. Look, Arizona did it for Phil Kessel. Phil Kessel's wife was having a baby, and he wanted to be there, but he also didn't want to lose out on the streak. So he comes to the game, he gets put in the starting lineup, pulls off the ice, leaves, goes to the locker room, gets dressed, and goes to be with his wife. So that he didn't lose out on the consecutive streak. He didn't play the rest of the game, but he at least started, so it counts. So, I mean, you could easily do that. Let the guy start. I mean, for Christ's sake, Yandel was on, like, the fourth-line D pairing. What are you losing out on here? Oh, yeah. we're, we're losing out on a roster spot, an active roster spot that we can bring up a, a young guy and get some players in because we have to keep our eye on the future and Yandel hasn't been playing good. Yeah, I get all of that. Okay, so cut down on his ice time, let him start, and then just put him on the bench for a while. Yeah, you might be a D down, but who cares? At this point, it doesn't matter. Are you dressed 7D that game? Because at this point, it doesn't matter. You're not even playing for a playoff spot. I think it was just a bad decision, but, you know, what am I going to do? And I don't necessarily blame Mike Yo, because I'm sure this decision was not his to make. I'm sure it came down and he was told what he had to do. And then in the interview after the game, he was just towing the company line. Oh, you think that this was... A... I bet it came down from upper. Why? So. Why would they care? I mean, I don't know. I'm not a coach. I don't know I'm not either. a GM. I mean, it's a difficult decision. No, it's not. Just leave him in there. You're not playing for anything. Your pride? Yeah, okay. That went out the window a long time ago. Sorry. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of salty about that one. This, isn't, kind of this isn't like when the minor leagues would do something for publicity, right? This isn't like, not that these are the same things, but like 97, 98, the um, Detroit Vipers of the IHL, they put Gordie Howe in a game. He played one shift, and then that was it, right? Like, he played one shift, you know, and they just wanted to say, oh, Gordie Howe's played, you know, in the, the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, and now the 90s, right? Because he played one shift in a 97-98 minor league game, right? Like, okay, I mean, that's nice, but no disrespect to Mr. Hockey, of course, but you see what I mean? Or what was the team that put Manute Bull in a, in a hockey game, former NBA player, and a team suited him up? For like one shift so that they could say that, oh, we've, we had the tallest hockey player to ever play play for us, right? But it was a publicity stunt. Was that the Indianapolis Ice? Did oh, that? I think it was the Indianapolis Ice. Yeah, I think it was. Or, I mean, it, this is horrible, but then going back to like, I want to say it was the, was it the 50s when the Rangers put Larry Kwong in for a shift so that they could say, oh, we have the first Chinese guy to play in the league, but they gave him like one shift. 
you get the idea, right? So I don't think this was like that sort of, and again, I'm not like trying to be disrespectful to Gordy Howe or to Larry Kwong, but the reasons for putting them in the games were, were to attract attention. We're talking about an NHLer who was good enough to play 989 consecutive games, give him the last 11 games, get him to 1,000, and then at the end of the season say, Keith, you know what? Really not Happy working trails. out here anymore. Yeah. Would you like to retire and maybe be uh, an assistant with you know with our HL team, right? You know what I mean? And that would have been that would have been like the classy thing to do. But we're talking about the Flyers here. Ooh, I went there, but you were thinking it. I always think that. Well, you say that, so this time <laughs> I beat you to it. Well, good. I'm glad you said it, not me. You'll get the hate mail this time. No, no, no. Everybody knows that Tim Parrish at the Real DFG on Twitter does not like the Flyers. So you can send all your. Uh, Hate mail to at the real DFG Great. on Twitter. Thanks. No. Thanks a lot. Well, you know, let me ask you this really quick. What is DFG? Dogface Gremlin. But who is that or what is that? Who is that or what is that? What well, is it, it? It was a who. So originally, I mean, that's the Dogface Gremlin is Rick Steiner, who's a wrestler from oh. the Steiner Brothers. Okay. Um, and that was his nickname. It's the Dogface Gremlin. And he's one of my all-time favorite wrestlers from back in the day when I used to watch wrestling and be a devout wrestling fan. Oh, God. Um, one of those. When I was a kid? Absolutely. Oh, and then again in the 90s when I was in college, and that's what all everybody watched was wrestling because that was when the, the big heat of... Uh, it was the wars between Monday Night Raw and Nitro for WCW and WWF. Yeah, time. I remember. And I remember. So, yeah. And when I first was trying to come up with a username for email back in the early 90s. Yeah, it was still the early 90s. And my first email account, I tried my name, and believe it or not, it was already taken. Wow. Even back then. So I tried a bunch of different things and that I would remember, and they didn't work. And so I tried Dogface Gremlin, and it worked. And I just became that from that point forward. Gotcha. And that was it. So it's not like a crazy special story or anything. Yeah, it was my fandom led to that. Right. Because I always liked Rick Steiner. He was my favorite because he always always barked like a dog. Mm. And he was good. So. Do you remember I, the goon? I do remember the goon. The goon, I have, yeah. I, I have a hockey card of the goon. Oh, yeah, a, yeah, yeah. It's I a got wrestling one card, but he's the goon. He's the um, goon. Yeah, that was a failed experiment. When I wrote a little piece for Hockey News about hockey and wrestling, I called them hockey wrestling tag teams, but, you know, crossovers, whatever. And I mentioned the goon. And I did a little research on him, and uh, he won his first match, and then I think he lost the next four, and then that was the end of it. Yeah, it didn't go over. He didn't go over too well with the crowd. I will say <laughs> this, though, related but unrelated. Yeah. I watched... 11, 12 hours of wrestling this weekend. For oh, the first yeah, time in a million years because WrestleMania was on mm -hmm. and we got it for free because of Peacock. And no. oh, okay. I, uh, the kids were watching it and I was watching mm -hmm. it with, with my sons. And it's the first time I've watched WrestleMania and pff, uh, it's been decades. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was definitely interesting. Wrestling is way different than it was. When I last 
paid attention all the time for sure so anyway well we'll save that for your wrestling podcast that's, that's besides the point let's get into some hobby and hockey related stuff the uh, Sport Card and uh, Memorabilia Expo in Tirana announced its first uh, autograph guest will be Yarmir Yager. This is for the June show, and that's kind of a real big deal. That's a big deal. I can't remember the last time Yager did an autograph signing somewhere. I mean, I'm sure he has, but I mean, just not in recent memory. I can't think of one, especially at a show that's that highly publicized <laughs> and well attended. I can't yeah. think of one. Yeah, so that's that's awesome. Of course, they had a ton of guests at their November show. I mean, oh, my God, they had, like, 20 hockey autograph guests. I was so jealous of that. Like, a lot of good signers. You know, and some of them are, like, 20 bucks an autograph, which is, I think, really affordable. You say, oh, yeah, this guy, 20 bucks, sure, I can get a card signed. That's awesome. You know, not $119 for a card, but not a rookie card, because that'll cost you more, like a lot of these athletes do now, which is really frustrating. Canada gets all the good players to sign. They know that people will pay for an autograph there. I mean, I remember a Chicago Sports Spectacular maybe around 2006 or so when I started going to them again, 06 or 07, Mario Lemieux was there and he was signing and it was 200 bucks an autograph and he left yeah. after 15 minutes because nobody wanted his autograph for $200. That's Although, crazy. Even if it was $100, I think it still would have been, maybe you would have gotten more. I would have been tempted then. You know what I mean? That's the thing. But then you go to, like, Toronto. I mean, everybody is a hockey fan there, you know, in, in Chicago or, you know, in the U.S. Hockey's more niche. I hate to say it, but it is in the U.S. I mean, you go to the National, it's, what, 80% baseball? 70% baseball, 10% well, with the autograph guests. It's going to be, like, half oh, of yeah. it's going to be baseball. You're going to have a lot of baseball and football. You're going yeah, to have it's a- at least 50% football or baseball, probably another 30% football. Uh, football, 20% basketball, about 15% other stuff, um, maybe about 2% hockey. I know that's more than 100% because I'm not good at math, but you get the point. That last 10% is going to be basically split between hockey, wrestling, and pop culture. Sure. You know, the guy who played the soup Nazi from uh, Seinfeld. Yeah. Will be that there. Guy was, that guy was at one of the shows, wasn't he? He was, yeah. He was signing soup ladles, which, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I there's a market. That. Hey, there's a market. I'm, I'm learning very slowly. It's, it's getting into my stubborn brain that there is a market for everything. Yeah, apparently there is. So, okay. So, yay, Yager. Um, Toronto Card Show. 16 years and 200 shows announced that they are calling it quits after the May show. So uh, I've never been to the Toronto show. This is not to be confused with the Sport Card and Memorabilia Expo, which is also in Toronto. Yeah, this is the big uh, show, show that's that's probably similar to... Um, uh, I was going to say similar to the the bigger Chicago show, although that's only a few times a year. Right. Uh, but it is a large, very large show that a lot of people always attend. Mm-hmm. And I guess they're shutting it down. Mm-hmm. They didn't. They didn't say completely forever. Like they weren't open to doing other things down the road. But mm-hmm. as far as the organized show and the locations that they are and everything else, they they put out a 
a message on all their social media and it's also on their website that uh, after the may show that's it did they give a reason why not a specific reason just that it's time i guess i'm not sure i know why so i and i don't really know i don't know the people that put it on or anything but i have talked i did talk to a few people online today that collectors that are pretty disappointed because that's like one of the things that they look forward to in a place where they usually go and and get their stuff that they normally get is at that show so is this a good time for me to talk a little bit about the uh the last two shows that i did Sure. We're talking about shows. Let's talk about shows. Yeah. So I did the Chicago Sports Spectacular over the weekend of March 18th through 20th. And then I did, it's called Sports Card Show at the Oak Creek Salvation Army in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. And I did that on April 2nd. So that was just a one day show. I like selling at shows, something I used to do in the 90s when I was in my teens. And then I tried doing a show in 2010. wasn't very good. So then I got discouraged very quickly. And I was like, all right, you know what? I'm, I don't need to do this. And then I started doing them again last summer when I was able to luck my way into some table space at the National. And from there, I was just like, this is fun. I like this. I mean, it's fun when you succeed at it. And it's kind of hard to not succeed at it right now because everybody's buying sports cards. But um, I'm already seeing a little it's a funny bit of way it. you put that. It's kind of hard not to succeed now. Well, no, if you have the right, I, here's the no, thing. I know exactly what you're saying. And I think most of the listeners know exactly what you're saying also. Right. But what I'm saying is it's like when you play your first game and you go out and you score five goals, you go, oh, this is easy. This is fun. I like doing this. I'm going to keep doing this. And then you play the next couple of games and you maybe get a goal or two, but all of a sudden you have to work harder for them. You're like, this is fun and I'm enjoying this, but yeah, this is work and it is work. And I think that's the one thing I wanted to say. I don't want to talk about like, oh, I sold a lot of cards or, oh, this or, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to brag. What I want to say if is that- If you do say it, why do you have to use that voice? What? Yeah. That, the, the voice? Yeah, that's like your caveman voice. Oh, I don't know. Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen- I would never diss a card collector, but there are a lot of non-collectors that really annoy me. And I mean, like, when people, no, come, really? when, when people come up to me, no, I remember a guy came up to me and he said, got any PSA 10 Ovechkin Young Guns? Yep, 17 of them. And I wanted to say, yes, sir, how many would you like? How many PSA 10 Ovechkin Young Guns would you like to buy today? I want to do it, but I'm not going to do it because at the same time, when you're trying to sell things, you want to conduct yourself in a semi-professional, semi-affable manner. You, you don't have to bend over backwards to please people, but you don't have to be, well, you could be a jerk. I don't want to be a jerk, right? Now, if a collector came up to me and said, I'm looking, you know, somebody comes up to me and says, I'm looking for uh, a Daryl Sittler rookie card. Now, I don't have that. But I'd say, oh, you know, I'm sorry. I don't have one of those. I don't even have one for myself, right? But, you know, I know that this is a person who's like a collector and th maybe they're trying to finish a set or maybe they're into the Maple Leafs or maybe they're collecting Hall of Famers. But I feel like there's like some common ground between us. Well, a lot, you know what I mean? Because I want a Sittler rookie card too. But you see what I mean? But the guy that just comes up and he's like, 
Scotty McDavid PSA tens. You know, and they always kind of say it like that. And then they and then they slap their bro case up on the counter and open it up, and there's 17 of them already in there and a big wad of cash. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it, that's the thing. It's like everybody has a bro case now. Almost everybody has a bro case. In fact, it's funny because when I see people at the bro cases, I know when they're about to open their mouth, they're either going to ask me for something that I don't have or try to sell me something that I can't afford. Or want, probably. Or, or what, what do you mean? Or or something you even want. Like, well, I mean, oh, look at these look at these five Jordan rookies I have, and like three of them are clearly counterfeit. Yeah. Well, no, like, but one guy had like he had like a bunch of graded young guns, right? But they were not anybody that I really wanted to buy. And I was just like, okay, yeah, that, that is a PSA 10, but it's a, a fourth-line player. And you know what I mean? It's not like a name that I could sell. That's the thing. And sometimes I buy things for myself, and that's okay, too. I mean, this is a hobby first, and I'm always going to make sure that it's a hobby first. Because if it's not a hobby for me anymore, then it becomes a job. Then it becomes about making every last bottom dollar, and then... I feel like a lot of the the passion that I have for selling at card shows is going to quickly disappear once it becomes I have to make money on everything that I do. Yep. Um, I can see that. And I could see it's an easy trap to fall into, especially with, like you said, with now, because everybody's buying and you get real tempted to be like, you know, I got all this stuff that I know people are buying and I know people are asking for. And normally I wouldn't part with it, but you know, people are paying double what it might be worth, triple what it might be worth, in my, at least in your head. Yeah, I can see it's a trap that people get into. I mean, it's the argument that happens on social media all the time. People talk about use the word PC and they throw PC around all the time, and it's like it's lost its all, it lost all its meaning because they're talking about selling PC cards and trading away PC cards and you know dumping PC. No, that's not what you do. That's your PC is your personal collection. This isn't some generic term for flipping cards. It's right. your personal collection. And it's really hard to part with personal collection. But I can see how people are falling into that trap now. And they're dumping it because people are willing to pay a lot more for it right now. Right. So I could see it happening. I don't think he would ever fall into that because you're too much ingrained into the collecting standpoint. Right. But the thing is, is that you get to a point where there are some things that you just don't want to collect anymore within your larger collection. And I'm starting to recognize some of those things. And that's fine. But I don't think those items would ever be considered PC items. You know, your Blackhawks collection that you have, maybe some of your team sets or your. You're on the right track. My complete sets. Yeah, you like it the complete sets hard. that you've been building and are just still building. Just I mean, like I, I have, not counting Gretzky's rookie year, I have every OPG set from 72-73 to 93-94. I don't have 79-80 complete. And so it would be hard for me to part with my 80-81 OPG set. Sure. Or my 85-86 or my 81-80, any of those years. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, it, unless you had a couple of them. Right. I mean, I at one time I had I had a second set of 82-83 OPG and I sold it. Not at a show. This was way back. You know, that somehow I just I just lucked into like an 82-83 OPG set that was cheap. I picked it up. I held on to it for a couple of years and I resold it. But see, right. that's that's different. 
Right. You, know, you you got stuff. You've got duplicates. You're willing to willing to part with it. Right. My, my whole thing was you got so many of these people that are collect were collectors or are collectors or claim to be collectors, mm-hmm. and they're getting into the selling standpoint, and it's so much that it just overwhelms them to the point where now they're selling everything. And when all the dust settles, you got a couple bucks. You don't have your cards. You don't have your collection. What do you got? Right. You're going to go buy it again? No, you're not going to buy it again. Because the thing you had that you paid 20 bucks for that you've had for 20 years and in your collection and you love it, that you just turned around and sold for 200 you're going to buy it back and it's going to cost you 300 So Unless the bottom falls out again and then the prices go back down. Well... Could happen. As much as I thought that was going to happen a year ago, I don't know that it's going to be expedited as quickly as many people were expecting. And part of that has to do with kind of what you're saying. Everything's hot right now, but it also has to do with all of the eyeballs that were getting placed on the hobby from outside of the normal traditional hobby audience. And can I? Oh, go ahead. No, you can. You can. I, I got a that. weird. I got a weird story for you. Be prepared sure. to roll your eyes. Okay. Okay. So everybody, this, imagine me rolling my eyes to this. So story. this 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 guy comes up to me at the shows back in uh, March, and he says to me, "I'm like, oh, well, you know, what are you looking for?" It's oh, you know, I'm I'm a hockey fan. He says, "Do you have any rookie cards of Mike Richter or the Beezer, Right, John Van Beesbrook. And I smile and I go, you know, I didn't bring any Richter rookie cards because they're really not worth much, you know. Yeah, um, 90, 91 and... So now the question is, did I have a John Van Beesbrook rookie card at the show? So 85? 86, 87. 86, 86, okay. Yeah, so do you think I had one? Um, yes. I did, but I was surprised that I had one. And I, 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 you know, I go, oh, here's my, you know, I had, I had this, this stack of vintage cards, right? Oh, let's see if I got one, right? You know, I'm not sure, right? I go through it. It was at the very bottom of the stack. Okay. John Van Beesburg tops rookie card, $5, right? And he looks at it. He's like, oh, I only buy PSA 10s. And and, and then before I could say anything, wait, 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 wait. I, I didn't even get to the funny part. Yeah, you didn't even get to the punchline. This is the funniest joke he I've goes, heard all day. He goes, I only buy PSA 10s and I'm going to give them to my son one day. Hmm. Sure, he's going to love them. And I'm like, oh, how old's your son? Oh, well, he's one now. Hmm. And I'm cool. thinking, yeah, when your kid grows up in, you know, five, 10 years, he's not going to care. Or he might. There are kids who like cards. But, you know, one thing that I learned is that when you have a hobby and that hobby is don't touch that, that's daddy's. Star Wars figures, then the kids don't have any interest in it. Yep, you're nailing that right on the head. And this is why this is why sports cards can be a special thing because dads will say to their kids, "Here's some of my extras from the 80s or 90s. You have them, you enjoy them, right?" You know what I mean? Like even like when my mother passed on her hockey collection to me, she didn't have cards, but she had these great caricature drawings of uh, Blackhawk players that I think were originally used as. Kellogg's iron on transfers in like the early 70s but then that artist did like a nice big reproduction set of them on like quality paper and gave me like her hockey scrapbooks and her Guy Lafleur autograph and her um Rick Martin autograph and 
I was just so happy that, you know, it's just cool. You know what I mean? And I think that like with sports, there is a little bit more of this kind of passing things down. And I think that's why it is, it is more of a cross generational hobby. But I think when you only collect PSA 10s and then you're going to give them to your kid one day, I feel like the little kid is too young to enjoy the PSA 10 card because they can't really, you know, they could like, maybe they like it. I don't know. But I mean, you can use it as like a teething ring. Yeah, right. Exactly. But then I feel that like, you know, if if it's like, nope, don't touch that. Those are daddy's cards. Then it's just like, all right, well, then they're not mine and I don't care about them. Yeah. So I know what you're saying. And usually that works to to the opposite where it's like, oh, don't touch that. Well, what do you want to touch? The one thing you can't touch. Yeah, I tried that with my kids. You know, I tried to get them into cards and stuff and they had their moments yep. but it really didn't stick for any of them and you know here's dad's collection that takes up a freaking room in a house and yet they don't really want anything to do it now do they now that they're older do they come in and look at stuff and say oh that's pretty cool yeah they do mm-hmm. or they'll ask me about autograph stuff and things like that but do they want to collect themselves now they don't have the time for that. They don't have the interest in it, and it's past them at this point. Now, they do pay more attention, and it's because of the drakes of the world that go on mm-hmm. broadcasts and open boxes of stuff, mm-hmm. and the Logan Pauls of the world that wear $80,000 Pokemon card cases around their neck with a $6 million Pokemon card in it at mm-hmm. WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, you know, other people that that they can identify, not that they identify with, but you know what I'm saying, people that they recognize. Yeah. Because these are people in their world of pop culture. Right. To, to me, I'm like, who? Like, who are these people? Like, I know who Drake is, probably only because he's Canadian, but I'm aware of him. I know he's like a rapper or singer or whatever he is. He was in Degrassi Junior High. Oh, was he? Like yeah. an actor? Oh. Yeah, I, he's an actor. I never watched that, so I don't know. You know what's funny about Drake? I'll just say this real quick. I taped the 97 NHL awards back in 97 because I used to tape awards. I used to tape everything hockey and I digitized it. There were like these little funny skits and like a 10 year old Drake appears in one of the skits. It's these kids playing table hockey. It's the Ron Hextall, Martin Broder table hockey game, where it's just basically a table hockey, which is two goalies batting a puck back and forth. The joke being that they're both goalies that have scored goals. Right. And there, and there's like a 10 year old Drake is one of the kids in the commercial. And yeah. uh, I didn't realize at back in 97, nobody, you know, Drake, this was even before he was on Degrassi. I put that clip on YouTube and then one day all of a sudden it's blowing up and everybody's commenting. Is that Drake? Is that Drake? That's Drake. Oh my God, that's Drake. You know, and like, Oh my God, it is Drake. That's hilarious. And that's the thing. I, you know, I don't identify with any of these people. I don't have TikTok. I don't obsess over YouTube videos and watch them all day long. I don't, that's not my world and I'm not into it and nor do I have any interest in it. So, you know, when these pop culture people pop up, I know who they are now, but I didn't know who the Paul brothers were. I had to have my kids explain it to me last year because I had no clue. And, you know, now, you know, anytime anything comes up with cards and Pokemon, his is a name that pops up. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, whatever. But that's kind of the thing. And, you know, we were talking about all these shows. I mean, last week was the Mint Collective show, the big, yes. the big show in Vegas. 
where it's part show and part you know showing off yeah so it was like so there was a um like a marketplace as part of it but Uh it was also uh kind of like a like a hobby conference per se not so much like the dealer conferences that they have but it was supposed to be open yeah like a trade show um mixed with a card show where they had a marketplace with dealers set up and you can go and buy cards and stuff like that but I heard a lot of people who have way more clout than I do, and that's fine because I don't care about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but more vocal hobby people talking about how it was such a great show and so great for the hobby and so great for collectors and all of this. And my only question is how? Mm-hmm. And then my next question is why? Mm-hmm. Because from what I saw as an outsider that wasn't there and has no idea of what's going on, I looked at it as, as this is like a big event for the one percenters in the hobby to go to and show off their wares and to talk about how they're going to just take over the world by turning hobbies into or turning cards into what's the word? The Commodities. Alternative asset now. Okay. That they're, they're using. I'm not there that's not in my wheelhouse. That's not in my place. And I guess I don't understand it. So I should probably stay in my lane, but I can still have an opinion about it. Of course. And, you know, getting into issues on social media with other people that are, if I say something about something, cause I don't know about it. I mean, essentially it's just me spouting stuff off and 99% of the time I'm being sarcastic either because I want to be, or because I just don't know any better and I'm making a joke. Mm-hmm. But you know, when people turn on me and say, oh, well, pfft, you know, that's not what it was about. And it was this and it was that and it was this. I'm like, well, you know what? I didn't see any of that. Mm-hmm. You know, the people that I saw stuff and, you know, looking at their little thing and the dais of all the people that were going to be up there talking and all of their little breakout sessions of here's the topic of discussion. It was nothing, nothing that's anywhere close to being remotely in my wheelhouse of how I collect. And that's just me. That's just me. And I realize I'm just one person. And I realize that the hobby is changing and it's evolving and it's turning into something else. But I can tell you, I won't be in that group. I will never be in that group because it doesn't interest me. None of it interests me at all. As digital as I get with cards is the top skate app. It's as digital as I get and it's as digital as I ever will get. And EPAC. I mean, sure, I use EPAC, but I use EPAC more or less to try to get the actual physical cards because most of the time I can't find product. Case in point, Series 1. But we'll get to that in a minute. But yeah, so this whole thing took place and there was a marketplace where people could buy cards. And then there were all these panels and special guests and all this kind of stuff that went on. I think Peyton Manning was even there and some basketball player. I can't remember who, but anyway... So there's all these industry people there just talking about the state of the hobby and where things are going and this, that, and the other. And it's like, I can't wrap my head around how that's beneficial to the vast majority of collectors because I feel like this is not something that was necessarily geared towards them. And one of the biggest rubs was, here's this big event that all these industry experts and industry bigwigs are at that you could just freely go and ask them anything you ever, your heart's desired about the hobby, about anything. And it's not getting the publicity and the the pull that it, that it should. And I'm like, 
because it's marketed as something different than I guess what it was. That's right. kind of what I got the impression. If it wasn't what I'm thinking it is, then why did it appear to be marketed that way? Am I just that jaded that I can't get past the point of this is an evolving hobby? I don't think so, because I recognize the fact I don't have to be on that train. I can go on my other train and go the other direction. Look, I've seen some videos from it. I've, I've heard some things that people talked about. I've read some articles. I've, I've looked at a bunch of stuff. And I, I guess the bottom line is more people are looking at the hobby now. Way more people are looking at the hobby now. And so I think the decline, although people are seeing it on certain things, I think the decline at least of having interest, okay, maybe the money won't always be there, but the amount of interest I think is going to stick around for a little longer than, than everybody expected. Well, okay, let me ask something now because you said interest. Now you're talking yes. about interest in collecting. Correct. Because or interest in bringing in as much as you can within that hobby in order to make you seem like you have something and know what you're doing from I all mean, the outside people. Obviously there's a lot of speculators at this past show that I did. I sold a lot of superhero cards, like a lot of Marvel cards from the nineties. And uh, I mean, they, I, they were singles and I had them priced out, but this one guy like looked at them and he looked on his phone and he's like, well, this is only selling for 99 cents on eBay and you have it marked at $2. And like, I could tell he wasn't a collector. He was doing some math in his head of what he thought he could resell these cards for, which is fine because if I sell somebody a card, they can resell it. I mean, it's theirs now. What they do with it is their business, not my business. But the thing is, is that one problem I have as a seller is that a lot of people who come to my table to buy from me, they want to be able to like turn around and sell like. If I if a card sells for five dollars all day long, if this is a five dollar card, right? And we all agree this is a five dollar card, and I sell it for five dollars. They come up to me and they want it for two dollars, and I just say, well, no. I mean, I can get five dollars from somebody for this card, and I got because they don't want you to sell it for five; they want to sell it for five. Right. So they're going to buy it off of me for two and sell it for five. If one, I didn't have money tied up in that card because maybe I do. You know, I mean, somebody offered me money on a card and I had to politely decline because I said, look, I got too much tied up in this card. I can't accept what you're offering me. And they understood. They were like, OK, cool. You know, it's kind of like know, the talk then, we were having earlier online about when people send you lowball offers that are ridiculous. Do you do you call them out and call them an idiot in public? Maybe not. But you just like you said, when you're at a card show and you're face to face with people instead of hiding behind a keyboard, you know, you can easily say, you know what? No, thank you. But thanks for looking. I guess the point I'm trying to make is I feel that like with something like the Mint Collective and you say that's the 1%, these are the people who are going to spend $50,000 on a sealed case of 86-87 Fleer basketball or $100,000 and then wait 10 years or five years and then open it and then sell everything graded at PSA 10 or whatever, right? Like, that's at that level. That's like at the stratosphere of like the buying and selling and investing, right? And I feel that right now there's a lot of people who are going around and it's okay to like want to buy and sell and invest and make money because, I mean, I do it, but I have fun doing it. So who doesn't have fun making money? No, I like I like doing conventions. I mean, even my uh, a couple girlfriends ago, 
she used to do like art fairs and I used to love doing those with her. You know what I mean? I used to love setting up and I used to love talking about her art and trying to sell people stuff. I mean, I just, I, I enjoyed that experience, you know, or working at Comic-Con for like the comic book shop that I used to work at. You know, I just, I, I, lo- I like conventions. I like those types of experiences, but I, I feel that like a lot of this is just fueled by people who are like saying, I'm going to make money off of this. And I feel that like once they go away, that's when you're going to have that collapse. Yeah. Again, I think when you get all of this extra push from, from the outside and the money and the money's in it, when money's in money tries to stay in because they're always going to try to save face in the end. But the money that's in it, the big money, they're, they're doing the big things and they're selling to other big money people. That is true. So they're they're also a very vocal 1%. I mean, yeah, how many, the, how much of them are on social media, fancy themselves as influencers, have millions of followers on every platform there is, and they have all these people going, well, that's what they're doing, so I want to do something too. And then they go max out their credit cards and buy whatever it is they want to buy. And it, it brings in, I don't know, it's like this, it's like this wave, you know, of mm-hmm. just this up and down and up and down and up and down, but it stays up here. Right. And it stays within the t- the frames of that. It's not big height here and huge dip here. It's just this wave that stays in the middle. And because you get the new people in, you get the old people in, and it's this intermix. And then they like oil and water separates. And then so it becomes this like this bouncing. I get it. I, I don't want to say it's a, like a polar opposite effect, but it's. It's like a positive and negative charge, you know, and they're bouncing off of each other. And it's, I don't know, it's it's a thing. And is that exciting to some people? Sure. Am I the get off my lawn guy and yelling at a cloud guy? I don't think I'm quite at that point. But again, I'm not the type that's going to embrace all of this extra stuff because it just doesn't, none of it, none of it interests me. Look, right. the, the hobby's changing. We all know that. Look, Fanatics bought up the whole hobby world, right? You know, other than Upper Deck still keeping the hockey license, Fanatics has all the rest. They now they now have the WWE license back, so it's going back to tops. Panini had it for like one release, and now it's gone. And right. it's like, so they've changed some of their executive board. They brought in people. You know, they had that shoe guy in charge. They brought in another shoe guy that apparently is not a shoe guy. He's got a bigger vision of things, and it's like you have all of that change, and you have PSA that's so hot and everybody wants PSA everything and forget all the other grading companies. These guys should be a monopoly because they're the only ones that count because they're the only ones you can make money on. Well, what happened to their $10 submissions and $12 submissions and $15? Those are long gone. And they've Mm -hmm. announced not only are they not necessarily handling the problems that they have now of being too big, they're getting bigger. They're growing. They're going to build bigger facilities and more facilities and hire more people and do more stuff. And it's like, there's just all this push and all this investment money that's being thrown in here now that it's just like it blows people's minds and it, that causes even more people to pay attention. Mm-hmm. What did I see yesterday? Yahoo Finance mm-hmm. put a section on there for alternative assets and trading cards is one of them. So they have a plotted graph of fluctuating markets as they see them for trading cards. Right. What is that? Like, who would have thought that would be something that existed, you know, five, three years ago, even. I mean, nobody. I don't think anybody. 
Well, except Gary V, because he knew everything. But right. you're right. To your original point, it's very hot. People will pretty much buy anything if it's the right price and they think they can do something with it. You're going to have both. You're going to have the collectors at the shows that are looking for Mike Bossy's third-year card because they're trying to fill a set right. need. And you're going to have the people that only want the PSA 10 Connor McDavid rookies. And it's just going to be a thing. And it's going to keep being a thing probably for the foreseeable future. And I'm going to just give two other quick little stories. Like one guy told me he was looking for Alex Ovechkin cards. And I said to him, I have some Alex Ovechkin cards, but they're all like low five to $10 insert cards. He said, all right, let me take a look. And I said, okay. And I handed him the stack. And he's like, yeah, I'm looking for young guns. And I'm like, I just said low well, end. Well, there's only one. Five to ten dollar <laughs> yeah. insert. You know what I mean? Like, what do you so think? I, there was a ten dollar young gun? Yeah, I that, mean, so that's. that's rookie? Okay, so again, another, not collector, but investor, right? Another guy who tried to lowball me on an Austin Matthews card, and I held firm on that. But then there was a really nice story. I mean, I had a lot of nice stories. I had a lot of good interactions at both of these shows. But remember one guy. There's way more good than bad. He went through a stack of 74 Topps baseball that I had. And he found two cards that he needed. It took him 10 minutes. He had his list printed out. And he went through the stack. And I said, you did all that work. And all you found were two cards that you needed. And he said, are you kidding? This is great. I'm two cards closer to completing my set. And he said, and one of the cards is an unmarked checklist. And he said, I used to throw these checklists away when I was a kid because I had no use for them. And now it's funny that it became one of the cards that I've been trying to find for, so, well, not, maybe not for so long, but just trying to find, you know, and it was like, it's like $15 worth of cards, but he was just like super psyched. And he's like, he said, which I thought was really nice. He said, thank you for bringing me two two cards closer to finishing my set. And I'm just like, ah, this is what it's about at the end of the day. You know what I mean? That that's like, that just made me, that made me feel so happy. I brought something, somebody bought it. Yeah, I made a little money, but like it made his collection a little better. And he wasn't like, oh, well, I'll give you $4 for this card, right? Like I had one guy look at a card and between grunting and wrinkling his face, he finally was like, I'll give you $5 for it. And I'm like, no, I think my price is fair. You know, you know what I mean? Different guy. So it, it's nice when people are like, oh, this is cool. You know, I had somebody bought a couple of Michael Jordan cards off of me and was just very excited because uh, they were just getting into collecting and they were really happy about getting some cards for their collection, you know? And, and that, that's so, I mean, you know, there's there's a lot of good too. So I said, there's, there's there's way more good than there is bad. It's just the bad gets vocalized and amplified. Well, all right, we can we can go back and forth on this all day. Let's talk about series one. Because you finally got a box. I finally got a box. Actually, I got a hobby box, and then I got three mega boxes and a blaster box. So I kind of got the whole, as you say, gambit of different types of boxes. I got some hobby. Well, one hobby, and I got some retail. Yeah, I, and... had, two, I had two hobby boxes. Mm-hmm. So what are your impressions of this year's set? And actually, while you think about that, let me just say really well, quick. So same as years before, 200 base cards, 50 Young Guns rookie cards, a bunch of inserts, which we'll talk about later. Hobby boxes are currently selling for like 140 150 for 24 packs. 
mega boxes which have 10 packs are selling for about 40 bucks although some mega boxes only have nine packs some of them have 10 packs plus one bonus pack of rookie class and then um there's the blaster boxes which now only have six packs i know last year only had six packs as well blaster boxes used to be eight packs now they're six packs and that's that makes me a sad panda so anyways that's the skinny on how you can buy these cards i'm sure there's fat packs but i'll never buy a fat pack as long as i live so help me god okay mm-hmm. well my opinion strictly let's let's just start at the top okay i don't like the design what i thought i liked the design when i first saw it and but when i got them in hand i don't like the design what you want to know why i do because every product other than flagship has borders and has other things going on with the cards and flagship has always had full bleed photos yep well i shouldn't say always because there are a few exceptions but for the most part always have the full bleed photos and i don't like this border taking up a third of the card space along the side sure it has the player's name it has a second picture of the player which is always fun. I don't like it though. I just don't like the design. I I don't. It doesn't do anything for me. I feel like these are cheap, and usually upper deck series, one two extended whatever it is, have like, you know, yeah, I didn't pay an arm and a leg for these, but they're a premium card, and I don't get that feeling with these. Somebody pointed out to me that. The photo selection on these cards is not very exciting. That these are kind of like your OPG or MVP type photos where it's just the player from the front and nothing super exciting about it. When you think of like, go back a couple of years or, you know, a year or two or five or ten years, how Upper Deck always had really exciting photos on the fronts of its Upper Deck Series 1 and Series 2 cards. And and you remember how Jim Howard would do his best of the worst and he'd always find like 10 cards to make fun of because they were like either ridiculous or just really kind of unique. None of these cards are unique. Yeah. And to your point about the pictures, yeah, not every card was always like that, but they'd throw a few in that were like funny. And yeah, sure. They keep their crazy photos for their canvas cards. Yes. For the most part. But even still. You know it's bad. Well, I shouldn't say it's bad. You know it's not for me when I think the horizontal cards look better than the vertical ones. Except until you put the horizontal card in a nine-pocket page like I do, and then their name is upside down. Yeah. Which is terrible. I I can see that. Okay, Upper Deck, if you're listening to this podcast, and I know at least one of you listens to this podcast, when you make horizontal cards and they're put in a nine pocket page the name could be sideways because it's a sideways card and we get it if you put it in the page and it's a sideways card that's fine but make it right side up but make the name right side up because then the first thing i did is i said okay you know what i'm going to orient this card so that the name is right side up so i can read it but, but now then, it's upside down on the but back then the back is yeah exactly then the back is upside down so that's just poor design it's like you're this is an example of not thinking of your customers. Like I teach a I teach a usability 
design class. And we talk about like, you got to think about the people who are using the thing. So who's using this card? I am. I'm a card collector. What am I doing? I'm building a set. What am I doing with my set once it's built? I'm putting it in pages. What happens when I put these horizontal cards in pages? The names are upside down. And now it looks stupid. And I hate it. Right? Do you think do you think this goes into okay, well, we are thinking that, but we're not thinking of Sal who's building a set and putting it in pages. We're thinking of the guy that's gonna buy 75 cases and is only looking for the hits. Yeah, I think that's what it is because you know, two things strike me about these photos. One, they're all taken during last season and there's like nobody in the stands. So you have a lot of these photos where you just have like these tarps covering the seats in the background. So you have like a lot of players who like their head and shoulders are framed by like Especially the Canadian team. Oh yeah. Where you just have these bright red like tarps covering the seats, right? Yeah. Yeah. Look at look at every Canadian's card in that whole set. And that's what you see in the background. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at, uh, you know, Canucks one, and there's like a a green and blue background. And yeah, so that is kind of neat that these cards... Look at the Troy Terry card. He's not bleeding. That's cool. Right. But, okay, so a couple of things. I like the design. I wish the photos were better. I like the secondary photo. I do like the fact that there is a photo on the back, and it is different than the photo on the front. Because it did give them some room for creativity with photos on the front, although they didn't get that creative with the photos on the front. But, you know, like when you have like an overhead shot of the player and you can't see his face, but you go, oh, that's a really cool photograph, right? But then on the back, you could see his face and then it helps you identify the player. I mean, that's what these are. They're called photo and stat cards, right? The inset photo on the front is the photo on the back. I know, and I like that. It's black and white, on the back it's color. I like it as a design element. I, I like the front design. Yeah, and I think that's cool too. I just don't like the way the card's designed. I you don't feel like, like the, there's too much border on there's one side. Way too much border. I think it makes the cards look dark because they used all black mm-hmm. and the silver and the black and white photo. It almost makes it look like you only have like two thirds of a card in your hand. I'd say it's about seventy five percent. Okay, quarter. Two thirds. I'd say three fourths. All right, whatever. We're we can split here. the difference and say nine sixteenths. Yeah, so there's nine sixteenths of a card here. But I feel like these look more like what you should probably find in some other set. Like MVP. Like an MVP set. Victory. Or, well, not victory, but MVP or, well, if it was white border, I would say SP. But I don't know, just something something else. Like I could even see this as like an OPG design, maybe. Yeah, actually, if you got rid of the foil. Oh, uh, I figured, I, I just. <sighs> Let's agree that we like all the stats on the back. Stats on the back are nice. Yeah, Do they, they have they com- they, complete stats. Yeah. yeah, and I did notice on some of the longer players that there was a bigger, a bigger set of stats. Like I'm looking at Jordan Stahl right now, and it's got his whole career. All yep, 15 Keith seasons. Yandel got his whole career. So, yeah, that's good. You know, the extra photo on the back's nice. And like I said, I like the inset photo on the front. I just don't like the way it's laid out. We waited so long for this set to come out. And, yeah, the design was already done long ago, and we should have yep. already known what we were going to expect. But I just feel like these cards are cheaper. And I don't so, know about you, mm-hmm. but in the both boxes that we opened, we got them from a, from a local card shop. They came out of the same case. 
a lot. Hate to say it, but there are a lot of damage cards. Mm. A lot. And it's corner damage. And it's not just like, oh, we accidentally pulled the pack apart too hard and right. pulled a corner. Uh, we're talking like full scale. The the print is completely chipped off the front, or the back corner has got a chunk taken out of it. Mm-hmm. You can't, or and you either can't see it on the front or you can't see it on the back, and it's one or the other. Right. And it's like that throughout. So I would say almost every pack we opened. There were at least two or three cards in almost every pack that had that same problem. So when I opened my hobby box, I didn't have any quality control issues. But when I opened my mega boxes, I had quality problems with the young guns in them. One of the mega boxes. What's that? I said, well, that's unfortunate. One of the mega boxes, I pulled a Trevor Zegris young gun. And it had a rough cut along the top. Yikes. Another box, I pulled a Cole Caulfield young gun, and there oh, was... you them both. Good job. Yeah, and there was, uh, in Megas too, right? I mean, yay. There was uh, scratches on the front, like where that silver band is where it says young guns. Yeah. They were like, looked like somebody had scratched it up. Like, not somebody, it was scratched up. And I had another young gun, and it also had the scratches on it. So, I mean, I sent them back to Upper Deck for replacements, and that's fine because I'm not going to sell these. These are for my set build because I joke about how I build young guns every year. But the last time I completed a set of young guns was 0708. It's the last time I completed a set of young guns. I have I have all of 0607 and all of all of 0708. And then after that, it just and I just wasn't as diligent. Um, probably because there were then there were ones that would like shoot up to a hundred bucks, and I'd say, ah, screw this, right? And then the next year come out, and then there'd always be the one that I couldn't, you know, like Connor McDavid or like Austin Matthews or like John Tavares. There was always one that was just out of reach of what I wanted to pay for it. And it just went up too much. Maybe yeah, not Tavares I, anymore, but I don't um, think, I, you get I, don't the think idea. I completed any, I don't think I've completed any young guns completely. Closest I am is on 0506 and I'm only missing one. So mm, I can guess which one. Oh, I guarantee you can guess which one. I bet you I don't even have to guess. I bet you just know what it is. I could have had a Sidney Crosby Young Gun for a hundred bucks, yeah. and I walked away from it. Well, and I wasn't. I wasn't so lucky. I've never. Well, come no, I wasn't lucky. I was stupid. I didn't buy it. Yeah. Well, I didn't even have that opportunity. But to, back to the point about the stuff being jacked up. That's good that you got the two biggest ones in there. I got a Spencer Knight. That was the best one I got. I also got Swayman, Jeremy Swayman. Oh, wait. I got two Spencer Knights. Okay. Back-to-back boxes. Wow. Oh, wait. In fact, both boxes, other than the inserts, were identical. Wait. All the cards or just the uh, just the young guns? All of the cards. All except, the base cards. Except the inserts. Both boxes came out of the same case. And all your base cards were the same. All the base cards were the same. Not only were they all the same, but I have triples, and I even have three cards I have quadruples of. Well, this wait, is, how... by far, the worst collation I have experienced with a single series of Upper Deck. How would you have triples if everything was, if all 160-ish base cards were the same? 
Or did some have like two of one card and some have one of the same card? Like, was there a little bit of variation? I, I may have some instances where I don't have dupes of some, mm-hmm. but let's put it this way. And I know this is more of a visual thing, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I'm going to show you and you can describe what you're seeing. That's the set mm-hmm. numbered, no dupes, mm-hmm. that I was able to pull out of two boxes. All right, so he's holding a big-ass stack of cards. That's the duplicates and triplicates. Yeah, it seems like you got like maybe 20 cards exactly. that maybe you didn't 20. get dupes of. Yep, maybe 20. And like I said, that there's plenty in here that hurts. are, there's triples, and I got like four where I got actual quadruples of. Now, that, going through all of the um, inserts and stuff, all the inserts were different. There okay. was not a single insert that was, or canvas card or anything like that, that were duplicates. All of the French one, the French parallels, those are all different. But the young guns, all six young guns were all the same. Oh! In both boxes. All six, exactly the same. Now that I did get now I did hurts. get two young gun canvas, one in each box, but all the young guns are the same. So like pretty much uh, yeah, I got two Spencer Knights, great. I got two Kalen Addisons, great. But you know, from that standpoint, um, did I want two Cole Lins? Not really. Did I want two Daniel Walcotts? No. I can honestly say I didn't. Uh, did I want two Joshua Dunn's? No, I, I pretty much didn't. No. So I really, really wanted to like this. I always liked the upper deck sets. I always liked their base series. I really did. And I'm going to be honest, I, I don't. And this makes me not want to get series two if it ever comes out or extended because I'm so disappointed in what I've gotten out of this. I feel like we waited so long and the anticipation was so high for the set to come out and it finally came out and we were like, we got to get our hands on it. This is going to be so great. And here, have this. Oh, really? This is what you're giving us? That's what I feel like. So my hobby box had 12 doubles within that box. See, I believe if there's 200 base cards and you get 160, 170 base cards in a box and there's 200 base cards in the set, you should not get doubles. Correct. Nor can I think of a time other than maybe once in the last 10, 12 years where I've ever gotten dupes in a box. Right. Uh, Dupes of the base. Yeah. Within that box. Right. Now, back in the day when you got 15 cards per pack, 36 cards per box, and your set was only 198 cards, of course you were going to get Of course you are, because it's cause just, that's how math works. That's how it was back then. Yeah, exactly. So I think you said something very poignant here, where you said there was a lot of anticipation. The set was delayed, delayed, delayed. Usually when Series 1 comes out, there's one young gun that everybody's chasing after. It's number 201. They always make it number 201 now, right? And the thing is, is that the other guys we don't know too much about yet. Like last year, Alexei Lafreniere, everybody wanted that young gun. Nobody really knew anything about Jake Ottinger yet. Nobody knew anything about Connor McMichael yet. Nobody knew anything about Jason Robertson yet. You know what I mean? Like they were like, the they were they were unknowns, right? It, which, not unknowns, but they weren't the they one. They didn't have the young, hype. They didn't they have hyped. the hype. Right. What's interesting about this set is that there were a couple guys in it that were hyped. There were people who wanted Jeremy Swayman. And I mean, right away, his young gun, it's cooled off, but I mean, his young gun was going for like close to a hundred bucks originally. And then it quickly kind of cooled down. 
there's people who wanted Cole Caulfield. There's people who wanted uh, Trevor Zegras. There's people who wanted Jamie Drysdale, right? Like, and so because of the rookie cutoff date from last season, which kind of led to a very weak rookie class in upper deck extended, there were only 30 rookie cards, 30 young guns, 29 in a checklist. They couldn't include some of these guys like Cole Caulfield, who made his debut last season. So these guys got held over. We were aware of them. A lot of people were aware of them. And then they made their rookie card debut this season, and they were playing at the beginning of the season. And so there was a lot of anticipation for multiple players. And so that drove up the price even further. Yes, because instead of having a month and a half before you get the cards of seeing them play, we had six months. Right. So... Yeah, of course. These guys are all established now. And we've got, you know, we can pretty much call it of who's going to win the Calder, or at least the three names that are going to be in the, the name by the time the set even comes out. And so now you got all these people who are like, well, where's this guy? Where's this guy? Where's this guy? Well, maybe they're in series two. Maybe they're going to be extended. And who knows? what if the Calder winner ends up being somebody in series two? Like, it's one thing like to Karel buy. Like hmm. Right. Well, but. But he, let me think, did I mean, Series 2 did not come out before he won the Calder? It didn't come out before, no. No. but Because I'm things saying, came out mostly close to when they were supposed to last year. Yeah, they came out around February or March, if I remember correctly. Right. I remember buying a lot of tins off of Target.com. They had the collector tins. Did not get one Caprice off out of all the Series 2 that I bought. But... The thing is, is that because these are so delayed, it's like there are a number of rookies who've already proven themselves. So now instead of people saying, I'm going to buy Upper Deck Series whatever and get some rookie cards and wait and see how these guys do, it's like, oh, these guys are doing great. Oh, and they're going to be in Series 2. That's just going to drive up the price even more, which is going to make it harder for guys like you and me who just want to build a damn set and get on with our lives and not like have to compete with the hobby bros who are going to like try to get these cards and then get them graded right away and then, you know, flip them for, you know, five grand or whatever. I'm exaggerating exaggerating on that last part. No, but I mean, that's the mentality that that's the reality. That's a legitimate gripe, I guess. Yep. I mean, if, if that's what we're going to do here, that's the, that's a legitimate thing. And like I said, I wanted to like this set. I like it every year. I enjoy it every year. I like chasing it every year. I do not like this year's set. I don't like it at all. And maybe it's because it took so long to come out and I'm over it. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's like, why do I feel like Series 2 is never going to come out? Or why do I feel like they probably should have released Series 2 the day after they released Series 1? Just Mm -hmm. because we're so far behind in all this stuff. And I feel like I get the whole, you know, it's we can't order supplies and, and, you know, everybody's out of this and everybody's out of that. Okay, I get it. But a lot of people are getting caught up. A lot of people have been getting caught up over the sex, the last six months mm-hmm. to a year. I feel like Upper Deck is not getting caught up. I mean, they're still releasing 2021 20, sets. Yes. And here we are anticipating a Series 2 of 21-22, yet 2021 sets are still coming out. And we still have yet to see the Cup. And they're hyping, they're already hyping 22-23 sets. Yeah, we've we've gotten sell sheets for at least MVP for next year already. Why? Why? Just 
stop. Which, the- which, if you think about it, though, usually it's April or May when we do get those because that's a set that comes out in September. But do we even? So it makes sense. I, I mean, I get it. They make cards; they're going to sell cards. I get it. But that's a set that comes stop. out in September, right? When did we get it this season? December. So. If this is any indication of what's to come, maybe this next season going forward, everything will be the normal time of when it's supposed to be. At least that would lead me to believe that. Now, here we are, a set that's normally released in November. We now finally get it. And so many people are having issues with quality control. So many people are having problems with busted up corners and messed up cards. And and when, when me, who... I'm not an apologist by any means. I wouldn't consider myself to be. But when I don't like the cards and I think they feel cheap, like on some kind of different card stock, maybe I don't know what they it do is. Feel they a little feel thinner. cheap, yeah. When I'm even noticing that, <sighs> like that, I don't know how you would spell that, but <sighs> that that's my reaction to that. It's like what I waited all this time for this. Like I said, it makes me not want to get Series 2. Now, will I? Yeah, probably. Did I even want to buy Series 1? No, I didn't. I, I was kind of like, I, if I don't get it, I'll be fine with that. And then I started thinking, you know what? Probably should. And I went to my local card shop, the one that I always go to, and walked in. And I'm like, so, Ken, where's all the Series 1? I don't have any. What do you mean you don't have any? It just came out. Yeah. Did you sell out? Nope. Didn't even get it in. I mean, wait a minute. How did you not get it in? Distributor told me he had none to give. Like, how is that even possible? This was like just released. It's like, nope. Distributor had nothing to give. So I got none. I'm like, are you kidding me right now? And then we had a conversation about that, and I won't get into it. But let's just say that I think there's also some nefarious things going on as well. But, you know. It is what it is in the world of lots of money being thrown around. Mm -hmm. But needless to say, his allocation was wiped out and put elsewhere. So he wasn't able to even get Series 1. Now I went to the other shop that will remain nameless um, and bought two boxes. And they were full of G.I. Joe cards, which was really (laughs) weird. But no, um, they were full of these damaged, busted up cards. But again, I confirmed that they were out of the same case. But that's what drives me absolute batty with all these doubles. I mean, I'm 30 cards, 30 base cards short out of two boxes. That almost never happens. Right. Like, never. I've never got this many dupes except for last year with Extended. Right. And that's because there were less cards in Extended. So it's it's logical that you would get them. But this is no different. I mean, you went over it when we first started talking about it. It's the same same number of cards. They didn't change it. There's no reason why this should have happened, especially in the same case. I could get it if you got random boxes and you don't know what cases they came from. Right. But to not only get mostly the same base cards, but also the same young guns. What does that tell you? Usually when I buy, if I if I buy two or three hobby boxes, I do what you do. I buy them from the same case. Because I know that, like, there have been times when I bought two hobby boxes, did not get a complete set. But if I bought 
or sometimes I do. Sometimes I'll buy two and I get a three. Uh, I won't get a complete set. There have been times where I bought three hobby. And when I say uh, complete set, I mean complete set of base cards, of course. Uh, there have been times when I bought three hobby boxes just to hedge my bets, and I end up with two complete base sets, right? So usually the base card collation has been pretty good for me. I've also experienced the things where I'd buy two boxes and I'd get the same six young guns in each box. And it's really frustrating when you open it and you get that first one and you go, "Uh uh-oh, I got this one in my last box. And then four packs later, you get another double. And then you just know that the other four are going to be doubles. Like at that point, you're you're just doomed. You just know that, they're all going to be doubles. And then you say, why did I buy a second box if I can't even get a different six young guns in this box? That's that's sad. That sucks. To have that in the same case, though, that blows my mind. There have been a lot of collation problems there's with this 50, year and last there's year. 50 cards. There's 50 cards and there's six in a box. Yep. So you have six boxes. That's 36 cards. Yep. I mean, you're still 14 short of all of them. Yep. How can there possibly be doubles in that mix? It just, right. I, I, I just don't, I, I don't know. One, sure. Okay, one. I could see that happening. But the same grouping, it seems lazy to me. It just seems like you're almost not even trying. And maybe the young guns aren't hand collated into packs, but they're certainly not coming off the press line like everything else is. No, they're they're inserted in later because that's why the when my cards like the base cards were fine and the young guns had defects. Yeah, and see, mine's the other way. My young guns were fine, but the base cards were just jacked. And none of the inserts were messed up though. So let's talk about the inserts because I wanted to say that I like the fact that in my hobby box every pack had an insert. In my Mega boxes, uh, which had 10 packs, I want to say nine out of 10 packs had an insert, an insert either being a young gun or a different insert. And then in the. So we're including parallels in that list too. Yes. Yes. And then in the blaster box, I think I only pulled two young guns and one Dazzlers. And um, I think that was it. So, like, I like the fact that the hobby boxes have one insert in every pack i think if you're spending usually it's like three four dollars now it's like six seven dollars or whatever for a hobby pack or whatever it is you know it's it's higher it's higher than five bucks a pack now give me a damn insert you know what i mean because now i'm paying a lot of money and when you buy a pack for five six bucks and you get eight base cards that's sad that's really sad on the same token i think there's too many different types of insert cards and i find that annoying and let me give you like a quick for instance. What is the difference besides the sepia tone between upper deck portraits, which look nice, and honor roll, which honor roll cards have a portrait of a player. Portrait cards have a portrait of a player. What's the point of having two different portrait sets in the same set? It's pointless. It's just redundant. Like I get that Honor Roll was a set 20 years ago, and maybe now we're being nostalgic about 0102 Honor Roll, and that's fine and good, I guess. Yeah, but, if these actually looked like 0102 Honor Roll. Well, they don't, but... Exactly. Was, they don't look like any of the Honor Rolls. No, I have 0304, and they definitely don't look like those. What I'm saying, though, is that, like, 
why would you have an insert set that looks like another? That's basically the same as another insert set. If you took off honor roll and put portraits on it, you would just say, oh, these are the portrait inserts, right? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. You can make yeah. that case, I guess. Well, think of 15, 16 portraits or, or, or for the last couple of years before they started getting really creative with the portraits. What was it? It was just a head and shoulder shot of the player, right? Pretty much. Yeah, so this is a head and shoulder shot of the player. It just has way less player on the front of the card and way more border. So you want to complain about borders, look at the honor roll cards that have like 40% borders all around, you know? Not going to lie, I don't really like the honor roll cards. That's fine. Okay, I like the about... fact, I like the idea that they were putting honor roll. I didn't realize that this is what they were going to look like, I guess. Mm-hmm. I, I thought they were going to look like the old honor roll, like one of the sets, maybe, but they don't. I agree, they're kind of silly. I do like the portraits, I like that sepia tone, only it's less sepia and more like gold. Because if you yeah, hold it was... in a certain light, the player disappears completely and it just looks like a gold card. And it was uh, funny because when we had Billy Celio on last year, and you're like, you should do like like sepia tone photos. And he was just kind of like, oh, well, we're thinking of things. And yeah. yeah, of course, they were already in production by then. So, right. Yeah, but he already still, knew that was coming down. Great minds. But yeah, so I like those. I might collect those, but probably won't. What about electromagnetic? You know what? On the on the um, the preview you like sheets, them, you I like didn't them like better there. No, on the preview sheets, I thought they looked stupid. Mm-hmm. In hand, I actually like them because they're different, and I don't know. They remind me of something else, but I don't know what. They kind of remind me when you have all four printing plates next to each other, even though they're not printing plates. Yeah, kind but of. That's kind of what it reminds me of a little bit. Yeah, I could see that. I still better. feel like I still feel like they look like something, but I'm not sure what. Like those ninety one ninety two upper deck that had the time the superimposed photos of like Gretzky doing the slap shot and of Hull doing the slap shot. Yeah, or like the triple exposures. Yeah, that's what like I meant. Those kind of things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah kind of. Uh, I kind of I kind of like the electromagnetics now that I see them in hand. I was I got three out of the two boxes. What do you think of the Dazzlers this year? I think Dazzlers, like. I liked last year's Dazzlers, but this year's even better. Like, yeah, this year's Dazzlers, they knocked this one out of the park. I think oh, my God. The, the background looks like fireworks, but it has, like, this kaleidoscope effect. So when you just tilt the card back and forth, they, like, do this kaleidoscope thing, kind of, but it also looks like fireworks going off behind the player. I think these are awesome. Yeah, I like the Dazzlers. I think they did a good job with those. I'm sure you got d- dozens and dozens of them. I, no, got I, got, one, I, I got one in each box. I got one in my hobby box and I got one in my blaster box and I don't think I got any in my mega boxes. Yeah, I feel like the Dazzlers are harder to pull this year. They are, because last year I had a ton of them and this year I only got two. But then again, I didn't buy as much product. And last year I'm thinking also across all releases, one, two, and extended. I do like the design though. You know which one we got to talk about next? Debut dates? Yeah, right. Oh God, that was a waste um so just just to uh not that we want to go into detail about it but i got two debut dates one in each box and i didn't think anything of it at first but apparently there's parallel versions of those why there's a a gold parallel version so i got a connor mcmichael in the one box and it was all gold but i figured out it's just a different like border or something i didn't think it was like a different card and then when i was putting 
putting these in like sleeves or whatever, I noticed that the back was gold too. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wait, is there something weird about this? And I looked it up and sure enough, there's gold. Versions. I mean, I got Ty Delandria and on the back it says here, January 22nd, 2021 versus Nashville. Goals, zero. Assists, zero. Points, zero. Plus, minus, zero. Yeah, this is a totally useful card. McMichaels is the same way. Zero, 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 zero. And then technically, they're not lying. That's the date he debuted. He just didn't do anything. But who cares? Who cares? And then you also have rookie retrospective. So these are kind of repetitive of each other. Yeah, the rookie retrospective ones, they look like those um, medallion cards from Trilogy. Yeah, they do. So it has rookie rankings on them and it shows the 2021 rankings for each of the players in goals and points or points mm-hmm. and assists or if it's a defenseman it's time on ice i think mm-hmm. basically whatever category that they had the highest highest lead in but yeah i'm sure there's plenty of parallels of these ones too um did you get any parallels not all mine were the same i think no parallels i did get honor roll parallels which were exclusive to the mega boxes uh, okay. Those were red parallels, like shiny red parallels. Okay. Apparently on those debut dates, the gold parallels are one out of 192. Hey, way to so beat the a, odds. So that's like a short, I didn't even realize it was short, short print one. I know that's what you want to talk about. <laughs> uh, Hundo P, baby. Now, Hundo, now Hundo, P. Hundo P was one of the Street Fighters from Street Fighter 2, right? Uh, are you thinking of pit? Oh, from Street Fighter. I'm, I was thinking of Piston Honda. That would be Honda P. No, okay, be Honda so, P. oh, okay, Piston Honda. Piston Honda good. from Punch Out. Mike Tyson's Punch Out. Yes, yes, Piston Honda, and then there was Edmund Honda or E Honda from Street Fighter Two. Yeah, there you go. Forgot about Piston Honda. Oh man, that's uh, yeah, that would be almost Hondo P. Look, P. I get, I get the whole thing with Hondo P. Do you guys say this? I mean, is this vernacular in hockey world? People say you got to give Hundo P. Well, wait, they, hold they on. This. Because we know that hockey players don't give 100%. They give... Hundo 10P. Hundo 10P, right? They give 110%. Did you see my box break of... Uh, of uh, my, my hobby box break? Yeah, where it looked like that Spider-Man card. That's the that first Marvel thing one. I thought of. Yeah. And and then when I looked it up, I go, yeah, it look it still looks like that Spider Man. It was a comic book, the Spider Man three hundred. Yeah, it definitely I mean, definitely does. It's good to get influences from all places. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but I just thought I looked at this and I said that's Spider Man three hundred, but with Andrews Lee on the front. These apparently have parallels too that are gold. I didn't get any of those. I just got regular, regular. <laughs> I like the design of these cards, but I don't like the name of them. They're loud. I don't mind the loud. I don't mind the background pattern. I like this. I just wish it was something else. Like, I like the design of it. I just wish it was not Hundo P. Called something not stupid? Yeah. Yeah, I I wish that too. Yeah. I, I still don't know. I've never in my life ever heard anybody refer to that as Hundo P. Never. Never. So I don't know who's using that terminology. Please, someone tell me where this is being used. Where is this being used in the world? 
Yeah. Because I don't know. I've never heard it. So. Did um, you get any uh, any uh, suits or any um, clear cut? Not of base cards, and I didn't get any suits. I only got three Variante Francais. I only got three of those. I did get a clear cut foundation, though. I don't oh, know, interesting. Which was kind of cool. It's uh, Barkoff and Huberto. Okay. So it's kind of a cool card. I haven't pulled a clear cut foundation card in many years. I think the last one I got was uh, who was on that card? Uh, it was a clear cut foundation of Montreal Canadiens. It had Larry Robinson mm-hmm. and somebody else I forget, but that was a few years back. So this is the first one I've pulled since then. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's Florida, but you know, Florida, they're good now. Yeah, they are. So yeah, that was, that was the only one of those I got. I did get a jersey card though. Oh, okay, that's interesting because your odds of getting a jersey card are like nil or not nil but they're remember when jersey cards used to be like three per hobby box and now they're not even one per box yeah for the longest time it was like you could bet on at least one one yeah but now it's yeah now they rarely rarely show up my last season i bought a bunch of mega boxes and each and every mega box had a jersey card this year, I didn't get any jersey cards in my hobby or my mega boxes. None at all? Yeah. Like I said, last year in 2021, I bought a ton of Series 1 trying to get a Lafreniere rookie card, which I did not. And I remember buying like six or seven mega boxes and getting like seven jersey cards. Huh. Yeah. So, I mean, they were like one per box. I That's feel like they had more of them to... It just seems that, like, yeah, a lot of these things have gotten harder for them to make. Looking at the checklist as we're talking about this, so there's mm-hmm. 70 regular ones, 17 rookie ones, and mm-hmm. 22 debut date jersey cards. Oh, joy. And I feel like in years past, in between Series 1 and Series 2, I mean, if you go back to, like, the mid-2000s and late-2000s, those checklists were, like, 100 each. Oh, yeah. Of, of there some were tons jersey of jersey cards. cards. Are available, so. I mean, here you're talking barely over 100. Did you notice that this year they did jersey cards that look like the 96, 97 jersey cards? Yeah, I, mean, I did notice that. Like a throwback to like the 96, 97 design. I think that was the first year they did uh, jersey cards in hockey. Well, the one I got was a nice plain white swatch of Mr. P.K. Sluban. I mean, Subban. Oh, P.K. So, Sluban. Yeah, so. Yeah, that was that was the only one I got. And then I got a regular number of canvas that you were supposed to get. So mm-hmm. that wasn't anything out of the ordinary. I did look at like the canvas photos and these canvas photos are way cooler than the base. Even the pictures on the back of the canvas cards are better than the regular upper deck base cards. <laughs> yeah, go figure. <laughs> which is which is sad. But yeah, and I think I got one portrait rookie out of mm-hmm. my two boxes. Fortunately enough, it was one of the ones to get it was cole caulfield oh nice uh so that was kind of cool but then i looked up how much they're going for and it's not anything at all because people don't care about anything that's not a young gun right um yeah other than that got a couple young gun canvas cards but apparently everybody's getting at least one out of a box not me you didn't huh Mm -mm. i got one in each so i just assumed that was the case no and they're red i saw people with black ones Black is the parallel. Red is the base. 
so I got two red. And it's funny because like I was just going through this checklist here, and they use Zach Jones as the sample, and that's who I got, Zach mm. Jones, along with Alex Newhook, so mm. a Ranger and an Avalanche. So, anything else you want to add before we wrap this one up? About this set, not really. I mm. mean, like I said, I think I've made it abundantly clear of my overabundant disappointment in the set and i don't know if it was just i overhyped it in my own mind over anticipation of not having cards for so long maybe it was a combination of all of that but i really think this one is going to go down in my years of collecting upper deck as the forgotten set that i probably won't remember what it looked like or even care five well, years I, from now i think you outlined some really good uh that we outlined well, both of us had some good points that we outlined. Uh, the photo selection was underwhelming. The cards feel cheaper. There's quality control issues from the, the printing, the, the the cutting, the collation. And we waited a long time, and now there's problems, like you said. You get all this hype, and then when you finally see it, you just go, oh, is that all? Okay, yeah, that's all right. So maybe the set is just all right, but you had higher hopes for it. But then a lot of things disappointed you in it. This set to me is Batman with George Clooney. Not that bad, huh? Yep. Oh, wait, you know what? I didn't even see that one. I see? knew to stay away. That's how, see, there you go. And I should have known to stay away. <laughs> ah, I feel, I feel dirty like talking this bad about it, but. Ah. I would be well, doing not, I would be not. doing a disservice by sitting here saying, "Oh, I love Upper Deck. It's so great. This is the best set ever." It's not. It really isn't. Okay, but not every not every set is going to be the best set. No, not every set is a winner, but I can usually find redeeming qualities of most things because they are what they are. I mean, I liked MVP way better than this. I liked Opeachy better than this, and I thought Opeachy was weak. Wow. Yeah. So, oh, I'm I'm sad. This makes me sad. It really I'm does. Sorry to hear that. We're ending on a sad note because we talked about this set. Yeah, it's okay. We got to be honest in in our thoughts. I mean, the thing is, is that whether the design is great, good, or just okay, I'm still going to collect Upper Deck Series One, Series Two, and Extended Series because I that's my favorite set and I like it. You know, and I have pretty much every base set from uh, five six on forward. And uh, me too. I have them all too, in one form or another. None of them completed, but yeah. I've got them all being worked on. Yeah, so I mean, to me, that's just, it's just a fun, I mean, I don't want to say it's a fun set. I mean, I like their set. I also like Opeachy because it has a bigger player selection, but Upper Deck Series 1, Series 2, and Extended has a stronger rookie selection. So it's like pick your poison. I even like 12, 13 Upper Deck better than this set. Wow. Yeah, see? I can't remember what was good or bad about 1213, but I'll just assume that you were not fond of it. Well, it was one series. Remember? Oh, that was the lockout year. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. The one series and one then series and then they threw cards in SP. Yeah, they threw the extras in SP. And oh, yeah. People think they're worth billions of dollars because there was like two per box and it is what it is. But yeah, yeah. I like that design better than these. You know what's should, funny is that because because they only had one set here here I have a great idea because yeah. they only had one series of a set and a bunch of update cards that no one cared about or got they should revive that design 
because nobody saw it before. They should bring it back. Like, here you go. It's new. And people would be like, wow, I've never seen this before. You're right. You have it because no one bought that other stuff. Hmm. No? Okay. No. All right. Let's wrap it up then. Wrapping it up. Thank you for listening to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. As always, if you'd like the show, please be sure to like and subscribe. Please be sure to tell people who like hockey and hockey cards. Please give us a follow on Twitter. Tim is at the real DFG. I'm at Puck Junk. Also, support this podcast by buying a shirt at shop.puckjunk.com. And until next time, collect what you like. For more hockey goodness, follow us on Twitter at Puck Junk.